It's always an honor and a privilege to be here. I love this community because God is in each of you. And man, it's, it's good. You see some partial pieces of God in every one of us individually that you don't see anywhere else when we come together. Something special. You know, I, I've, you've probably been noticing it recently. I don't, I don't know if you have, but there is a revival spirit in this land working. And I know we've been praying for decades in this land for a move of God and the Holy Spirit. And I, I see it happening more and more. And the one thing I would say, a hunger. There, there is a hunger growing in the people on the streets. Two, two weeks ago, I'm, a woman I never met before, and I just went up to her and I just said, are you all right? And, and she said, yeah, I'm all right. But then I asked her again, are you all right? And she said, well, no. And I, I asked her, I said, um, can I pray for you? I won't embarrass you. I'll just pray on my own. And she said, yeah, you could pray for me. And I said, what would you like me to pray for? And she said, pray that I, I know how to find God. Do you hear things like that ever? <laughs> you know, two, two or three days ago, I'm walking down the road and this woman stops and she says, says, says would you come and talk to my six-year-old boy about God? And, and I, I'm just seeing in this land, there is a hunger and it's because of the prayers we have been praying over these years. And I know where we're at today, and it's exciting. But where we will be in 10 years from now will depend on our obedience and that we continue to seek God in prayer for a continuing, growing move of the Spirit. We, we can't let up. Amen. Now for the t sermon. <laughs> we're going through the series, God Has a Name. This is the last part of the series. And I'll read from Exodus 34, 5 to 7. Then the Lord, Yahweh, came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, Yahweh. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands. That means he's not given up. You know, he's just continuing, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. But then comes this other part. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation. Let's pray. And dear Father, almighty God, this is your word. This is a declaration of the glory of your name. We didn't make it up. We aren't making it up. We're just receiving the revelation that you have given us. We pray, Lord, that by your Holy Spirit, you seal it in our heart and help us to understand it. Help us to understand your ways and who you are more and more, Lord. We just ask, open our eyes. We want to see Jesus. We want to see you, Lord. In your holy name, Father, we thank you. Amen. Amen. You know, this is one of my, one of my favorite stories. A young man, he goes and joins a monastery. 
he felt kind of religious and joined the monastery and thought, but he found out in the monastery, you have to take a three-year vow of silence, which means you can't talk for three years. So for 36 long, grueling months, he doesn't say a word, but goes about his monkish duties as they do. At the end of the three-year stint, the abbot calls the apprentice into the vestry and asks him and says, in two words, what do you have to say about your time here? And the man said, food, bad. <laughs> However, the apprentice renews his vow of silence for another three years. When that period expires, the abbot calls him in again and says, well, in two words now, what do you have to say about your life here in the monastery? And the man, did I die? Amen. Thank you. Okay. It's okay. Is this working? Yeah. Resurrected. <laughs> so he, so in, he said in two words, what do you have to say about your life here this time? Can you hear me? Yeah. No? Praise the Lord. <laughs> Amen. Maybe we have another mic? No? Is that it? Is it working? Okay, great. No? Okay. Okay.
Isn't that, isn't that what you do during an election? You look at the, at the person's record to see, did they keep their promises? So over 500 years before Moses was born, the God of his ancestors came to Abraham making very great and specific promises, promises Moses and the Israelites were very familiar with. And God said he would give them the land of Canaan, Israel, the land flowing with milk and honey. So here we can ask 500 years later. I mean, that's a good amount of time. Were the Israelites living in this fruitful, line, fruitful land God had promised? No. For the last 400 years, they were stuck in Egypt. That may not seem long from God's perspective, but for us, that, that is a real long time. God had promised Abraham he would make the Israelites great. And were they great? No. They were tormented and mocked as slaves in a foreign land. Again, that promise would have been stamped unfulfilled. And down the list... And God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had promised that he would curse their enemies. So, 500 years later, were their enemies cursed? No, their enemies were persecuting them. Another one, unfulfilled. As a matter of fact, it was their enemies who were prospering at their expense, not the Israelites. And the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob promised the Israelites that they would be a blessing to the whole world. But unfortunately, this promise also failed to come to pass. They, slave labor is not the kind of blessing they wanted to be to the world. So on the first campaign trail, with all these promises given to Abraham, 
and get what God promised the Jewish people never came to pass. You read down the list, unfulfilled stamp, unfulfilled, unfulfilled. As a matter of fact, it was just the opposite. They were slaves in the foreign land, beat down and humiliated for 400 years. And throughout that time, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was silent. A vow of silence. And not to be disrespectful here, but if we were to add up God's track record up to this point of the burning bush, I think we would have to say that God didn't deliver on his promises. If this was posted on the internet, I think God would have got a one-star rating on the deity scale. And I'm not being disrespectful, but this is the way it was. So on the second campaign, God returns and promises Moses and the Hebrew people in Exodus chapter 3, verse 8. God says, I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land flowing with milk and honey. Hmm. Now you would wonder, he didn't produce back then when he promised. Is God able to do it now? And you would almost say, would you vote for him? Would you vote for him at the burning bush if you looked at the record? It seems Moses wasn't sure what the Hebrews would think of all of this and these promises yet unfulfilled in this new promise. So Moses responds to this campaign speech by asking the God of his fathers, what is your name? That's in Exodus chapter 3, 13. Now, that's a strange question, isn't it? If we were standing at the burning bush and he said, I am the God of your fathers, I don't think any of us would have even entered our head to ask him what his name was. We, I mean, isn't the God of your fathers enough? You know, I'm glad he didn't ask for a birth certificate because God doesn't have one. But the name, but we know and this is a point. We know a name in Israel meant a lot more. It was more than just a title. A name represented a person's future. It represented a person's destiny. A name showed the character of a person. <clears throat> and you find this throughout the Bible. And this is why God often changed some, someone's name in the Bible. It, it's because their destiny is changed or their character changed. So, for example, God changes Jacob's name to Israel or Abram to Abraham or Simon to Peter. So it's no surprise in Exodus 3.13, Moses asked God, what's your name? Because God had promised the Hebrews many things for over 400 years, 400 years ago, but they haven't come to pass. You okay so far? So Moses here isn't just asking for a title. What he's asking for is a character reference. That's what he's asking for when he asks, what's your name? You know, God of my fathers, if we throw in our lot with you and reelect re you as our God, can you really deliver what you promised? 
This is what Moses was looking for. What will our destiny be if we throw our lot in with you this second time? <clears throat> so, in two words, <laughs> after a 400-year vow of silence, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob very graciously in Exodus 3, 14, and 15 tells Moses his name. I am. It's a God name, isn't it? <laughs> you know, there's nothing you can compare to me. Nothing you can compare to me. But in the Hebrew, it's the name, we know is the name Yahweh. And he said, tell the people, I am. Yahweh has sent me to you. Now on the surface... That doesn't sound like much of a character reference, does it? I mean, it sounds rather random. Sounds a bit like a politician would answer, doesn't it? Hmm, what's he really saying there? Who, but he's saying, who I am, who I am. But this name in the Hebrew can also be interpreted as in the future tense, I will be who I will be. And this is how God is answering Moses. If you follow me, this is what he's saying. If you follow me, you will see the plans I have for you. If you follow me, you will experience what I will do for you. I am who I am. And I will be who I will be to you but you won't know exactly who I will be to you until you sign on the dotted line and vote for me. And then we will walk this path together and then you will see what I will be to you. Many today ask that kind of question, don't they? Well, if I become a Christian, you know, what will become of me? What, what am I to expect? You never know until you start walking with Jesus. But then we read in Exodus... As this history unfolds in these early chapters from the burning bush, we know God, God did, did, kept his promise. <clears throat> there's a miraculous ten plagues. There's the ten commandments. There's the parting of the Red Sea. There's freedom from Egypt. And we see God's judgment after the golden calf incident. And then after all this miraculous adventure, Moses presses God for a bit more information on that name, I am, regarding Yahweh's character and credentials. You know, it's like, I've seen you at work now, God, and can you fill it in a little more? So in Exodus 33:18, then Moses said, now show me your glory. Or what he's saying is, show me more what you are like, who you will be to us. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name. And how God continually ties in his name with this, Yahweh. I will declare my name Yahweh in your presence, which leads to the scripture we have been looking at this past month. Exodus 34, 5 to 7. And I think, I think we really like this. We really like the first part. 
of this when he's declaring his name. Then the Lord Yahweh came down in a cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, Yahweh. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate. We sing about that. We talk about that. We think, yeah, yeah, our God, the compassionate. Amen. Then it goes, and the gracious God. God has given his credentials here. And the gracious God. And we would think, oh, bring it on. Yeah, that's the kind of God we've been looking for. Compassionate and gracious. Slow to anger. We think, thank God for that. that that's what we want in a God. Abounding in love and faithfulness. Wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah, that, that's it. We'll, we'll sign up and follow you. Maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Wonderful. Wonderful. Amen. Boy, do we need that. Yahweh, you have my vote. Grace upon grace upon grace. But here is where many wish God had taken a vow of silence. Because he doesn't stop here and it's no longer comfortable and it almost seems a bit unfair. It says, Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. And here is where we get a shudder down our spine a bit and think, what? Maybe I should have voted for the other guy. I like the guy who was in the first part, but I'm not fully certain about who he is in the second part. But God is not telling us here that we're going to get, and this is a point just to clear up one thing about this, God is not telling us here that we're going to get a divine slap on the back of the head if our grandma Bertie cheats on her taxes. <laughs> that, that, that's not what he's saying here. And um, if you're interested, because the Bible clarifies this a lot, just look it up in Exodus 20, 5 and 6, or Ezekiel 18. But here is what God is saying. I am a loving, good, and gracious God, but I will never relent when it comes to sin. I am a good, gracious, loving God, but I will never relent when it comes to sin. If your children follow in your sin, I will chase them down through the generations till that sin is uprooted out of my creation. Whether by grace or forgiveness or by judgment or mercy, I will chase it down and destroy it. And what God is saying here is don't be deceived thinking I'm a soft touch. I am good, but I will not bless or tolerate sin and evil in my beautiful creation. I will chase it down until all creation reflects my glory and my love. This is what God is saying in this. 
I will chase sin down from town to town, city to city. And we see in the Bible how he judges towns and cities. I will chase it down from town to town, city to city, city, county to county, country to country. I will chase it down through the generations and the millenniums, millenniums of time. From generation to generation, whatever it takes, God is saying, I will accomplish this. I even became a human being to deal with the sin and evil in my creation. I sent my son, I sent my son, I sent my only son as a sacrifice of love to remove the evil that has entered the world. And Jesus didn't die just to save us. He gave his, he gave his life so God's creation will reflect the goodness and the glory of God without sin and evil in it. I will chase it down, God is saying, and eradicate it from the earth and from the angels above, no matter how many generations it will take. And he's saying, don't, so don't deceive yourself into thinking, because I am good, because I'm full of grace and love, that I will be soft on sin, or that I will just sweep it under the carpet. Just look at the cross and look at my son and you'll see what I feel about sin. And that is the extent I will go to remove evil and sin from my creation. Even my own son, who is your only hope. He is the only one who can issue my glory and my goodness in your life. He is the only one who can free, cleanse, and forgive you of your sin. The only one who can save you. John 3, 16, 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name, in the name of God's one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Just feel like, Lord God Almighty, what is your name? My name is Yahweh. I am, I am who I am. I will be who I will be. Dear Lord, show me your glory. My name is a reflection of my glory. Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet, he does not leave the guilty unpunished but he makes a way for them to repent and find salvation. He does not leave the guilty unpunished, and he punishes the children of their children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation if they don't repent. And we should thank God for that because if this last part wasn't on that name, heaven would probably look like the earth right now today a just God 
and I am not going to tolerate sin in my beautiful creation, and this is where I am taking us. And all I can say is, as for me and my house, for Karen and I, you know, we have cast our vote. And we have dedicated our lives to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to Yahweh, to Yeshua, HaMashiach, Jesus the Christ, the Messiah. And I hope it is the same in your house. And just like he says, repent and believe and watch what Yahweh can and will do for you because he is just but he's also very gracious. Let's pray. Dear Father, we call upon you and we thank you that you're so abundant in mercy and grace. We thank you that you cleanse us and you forgive us. But help us, Lord, to hate sin as much as you hate it and to love righteousness as much as you love righteousness. Help us to be holy as you are holy. Help us to be like you, Lord, like your son, Jesus Christ, and we thank you for all you've done for us. And we will have the prayer team up here and we will pray for gladly pray for anyone who would like to speak to God or know how to speak to God this morning and we thank you Lord Jesus for your mercies Amen